Allison Rosen is my new friend. She is also the host of the podcast, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. And maybe we're best friends. I don't know. That seems like a lot of pressure. We haven't known each other all that long. But Allison and I have a lot in common. We both talk to people on podcasts, and you can hear in the interview we're about to play that we both used to kind of pry around to try to bust our interview subjects' minds wide open and have big epiphanies, revelatory moments, some breaking you down, making you cry type of Oprah things. And neither of us really try to do that anymore. We don't pry as much anymore. Although in this interview, at least one of those big kind of epiphanies happens anyway. It was great to talk with Allison and learn about our similarities. I'm glad she was here. It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here as well. Part of friendship, though, is differences, perspectives and life experiences that the other person does not share. And then you can learn from each other. I've dealt with depression, but unlike my friend Allison, I haven't dealt with postpartum depression. I've thought about my weight and appearance, but I've never been a woman in media and entertainment in America, so I haven't experienced what weight means in those areas and what it can mean to one's mental health. Besides Allison Rosen as your new best friend, she co-hosts Childish, a parenting podcast with comedian Greg Fitzsimmons. Allison's a writer with bylines in Rolling Stone and People, a frequent talking head on cable news, and she was the news girl, their term, on the Adam Carolla podcast. Allison Rosen is your new best friend, launched in 2013. It was a big hit, got a lot of attention, and she was fired by Adam Carolla in 2015. Allison and I got connected at the suggestion of Ryan J, also known as at Bosox621 on Twitter. Allison had time to talk because her therapist had gone on vacation, a fact that she treated with mock indignance. Allison already had a history with therapy on and off, but it became a more urgent matter after her baby was born. I have two little kids, and I had my first little kid, and I had postpartum depression afterwards, but I didn't recognize that that's what it was until about five months later when I, the, I was having a lot of intrusive thoughts, and I just was sad all the time and I realized okay maybe this is more than just baby blues like maybe I do need to talk to someone so then I found a therapist who specialized in postpartum women and that's who I've been going to ever since and that's the one who rudely went on vacation this week without even running it by her clients I know (laughs) speaking of putting everything into a relationship yeah (laughs) so had you ever been told like hey you have depressive disorder? You have a general anxiety disorder. Did the disorder word ever come up? Only in in the postpartum setting. So at that point, and also I had never been on antidepressants, which is kind of amazing to me that I hadn't because I certainly had depression and anxiety ever since I can remember. The anxiety I didn't identify with as much. I, In fact, many times I would say, I'm a person who tends towards depression, not anxiety. Like, I thought that you're either one or the other. And I always thought, it, for me, it's it's the depression. It's not anxiety. And then it was only sort of after my experience with postpartum depression and anxiety. So the actual diagnosis was postpartum depression and anxiety, like, 
with OCD or somehow OCD was, I believe, in the diagnosis as well. Oh, okay. And I only sort of with this therapist have I realized that, no, the the anxiety actually goes back to, you know, I've had that my my whole life too. I don't know why I never really identified it or identified with it. That's interesting that you have the, the, uh, the exclusivity, like you can have, it's either depression or anxiety. I often compare it to they're, they're the hollow notes of mental illness. Like you rarely, you rarely hear them play solo. I think I, I had this idea, but I don't know where I got it, but I had this idea that they're a very similar thing and, and it's just a couple different manifestations of them. But I don't know. Oh, I know what I was going to say, though. What I was going to say is I had never been on antidepressants. And maybe it's because I was not open to them. Maybe the you know, therapist could, could tell that about me or I had said that because I think I would have benefited from them. But then when I went to the a- – after I had my baby, when I went to the therapist, I went in saying I would be open to this. And so at that point, I, I – was put on Lexapro and that helped and I'm still on it. Even though I did try to get off of it in advance of having my second baby. It's funny because no one around me thought that I should try to get off of it. Like everyone around me was like, <laughs> and I'm, and I'm talking about both my husband, doctor, therapist, the psychiatrist that prescribes it. You know, they were all like, it's safe to stay, stay on it. And I was like, I know, but I don't really think I need it anymore. The whole so team then, was saying, hey, <laughs> stick with it for our sake, if nothing else. <laughs> totally. Well, I think the reason, and again, everyone fact check this, I'm not a person who should be dispensing advice, but what they say for a pregnant woman is untreated depression is is less safe for the baby than if the mother's being treated, you know, any potential risk from the drugs are outweighed by the danger of an untreated, of these untreated disorders. But the way that that would impact the baby would be like if the mother stopped going to her doctor's appointments or if she was harming herself. And I knew that I wasn't at risk of those. So I figured I can handle it. And then I got down to a very minuscule dose. And at that point I felt so anxious and depressed and I and it was kind of a mind fuck because I didn't know is this the true me coming back or is this a side effect of withdrawal whatever it is it's so unpleasant I don't care and that was the last time I tried to get off so it's a a question of what's the true self you know is it is it me plus medication equals me unencumbered and at peace or or is the the real me, if the word real even applies, right. the really dark, fucked up person, you know? And that's, you're very good at what you do because <laughs> that who is the real me and these questions for myself, who is the real me? And then kind of demanding or needing or feeling uncomfortable when I sense that I'm around someone who's not being authentic. That is a real big issue for me and a real big trigger for me and and you host a podcast and live in California yeah it seems like there'd be a lot of people that you might run across who are like that I don't know what you're talking about I find maybe I'm judging I live in Minnesota (laughs) I live in Minnesota and worked in public radio so I'm kind of from a different angle (laughs) no I mean I I've definitely done shows 
where I don't feel like, I mean, there's different levels and different layers of someone's true self and their emotional vulnerability that you can get to. And for a long time, I felt like I have to plumb the depths in a gentle way, but I have to, I have to, to strike that gold of like what, what their struggle is and what they're going through. And I find as I get older, and I don't know if it's because I'm getting lazy or if it's because I'm growing up, I don't, I don't know which lens to look at it through, but I find that I don't force it as much anymore. And if we're just going to have a good conversation that stays up here a little more, I am okay with that at this point. Well, I, I used to kind of look for that myself. I used to say like, let's get to the root of this whole thing. Let's figure out what specifically your dad said that you've been carrying around all this time. <laughs> and I kind of have let go of that because I, I stopped being so doctrinaire and orthodox about a lot of things having to do with mental health, including the name of a particular disorder and the the co-occurrence of disorders. You know, if that's here, then that can't be there. I, I often point to this interview I did with Mike Berbiglia. He's like, yeah, I, I've got this sort of darkness that follows me around and I have to grapple with. And uh, sometimes it gets really bad and my energy suffers, but uh, I've never been told it's depression. So I don't think it's depression. And I'm thinking, of course it's depression. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I don't have a, I'm not a, psychiatrist or a psychologist. I'm a, I'm an interviewer. And it made me think, well, okay, then, then what can I say this is for Mike? And it's an obstacle. It's a darkness. It's mm -hmm. a, it's a thingy that's going on with him. And maybe that's all it needs to be. And so my whole way of thinking about at that point kind of shifted to like, all right, we're not going to bust through and have, you know, the third act epiphany in every single episode, but maybe we can be people who face these obstacles on a regular basis. And by listening to two people do that, other people can get help with their own facing of their own obstacles. Definitely. And it's a, it's a much more chill and friendly place to be <laughs> with fewer interrogations. But did you attempt to suggest to him that that is what depression is? Yeah, I mean, I said that's that's what a lot of people would describe their depression as, you know. But but I don't know, I don't know how much of that is a semantic thing with him, where where he might be thinking it's important for me to not call it that in order to make it right. more manageable. Maybe because people get tied up in those terms. See, I think that's where what you and I do, and I hope it's okay that I'm lumping us together. Sure. Um, we're best friends after all. That's right. Um, <laughs> maybe a, a non-illuminated hazard of this is we are not professional therapists, but we're swimming in those waters. And I think that if I didn't do this, what I do, I, I probably would have been a therapist. Sometimes I think maybe I should go to school and maybe I should do that. And then I think about the logistics of running, of having my own practice. And then I think, I don't, actually, I don't think, I mean, you just get one week off for vacation, apparently. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. She's taken many more than just. But apparently no. you don't need to even get permission for that. <laughs> you just take off whenever it suits you. Uh, in fairness to her, she had let me know a few weeks in advance. What was my point? Oh, my point is 
people do have all these defenses that don't announce themselves right away. And you definitely, just as a human being, don't want to, to do anything that would harm anyone. So we have to be careful. I say, again, I'm saying we because we're best friends and I've lumped us together. <laughs> that being said, because I think that, and I can tell, we're both intuitive people. That's why we're both so good at what we both do. That's right. More with Allison Rosen, including some discoveries related to clothing and food and the unique anxiety, like real clinical anxiety related to weight scales. Back with Allison Rosen. She interviews people on her show, Allison Rosen is Your New Best Friend. She's not a therapist, but she has thought about what if she was. I think something that would be hard for me if I were a real therapist do, doing a 50-minute podcast multiple times a day um, <laughs> would be not taking home my clients' problems. I tend to have trouble with boundaries. It's something that's one of the things I've been working on. You know, there's like a few, a few things I revisit often in therapy since I've been in and out for so long and boundaries and communication and, and that kind of stuff is, is one of them. Um, I think it would be hard for me to be able to like someone could, for someone to be in the middle of something super emotional and then to be like, "Mm, to be continued or whatever, whatever my catchphrase would be. (laughs) <laughs> we have to end in a moment. <laughs> Tick tock. <everybody. laughs> just, just an insistent tapping on your wrist with your index finger. Well, I want to ask then about about your show. Uh, Allison Rosen is your new best friend. And sort of your career, you're in the public eye. Your podcast has your name in the title. Your name is the first two words in the title of your podcast. It has best friend in the title. It's all very personal. and. I wonder, like, to to put yourself out there that much, and I know it's podcasts, it's in jest to some extent, but to put yourself out there that much, is that in spite of what your your mental health instincts tell you to do, or is it because of what those instincts tell you to do? It is in, I think it's, oh, that's a good question. I think I've been driven to, connect and to be authentic and 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 want to talk about what people are feeling and like what's really going on since I was very young. So I had that drive since I was very young. I also have parents who are very fearful and on a little bit of a mixed message because on the one hand it's like don't risk anything. Don't put you don't become a target. Don't put yourself in danger. Don't be conspicuous. Go along to get along. On the other hand, they appreciate entertainment and performing and are proud of me for doing this thing that I do. So it wasn't like be invisible. It was both be visible and be invisible. It you know, and and so I think that I am working against this idea that it's somehow bad to show your vulnerability. I I am driven to 
show my vulnerability so that other people see that we are all kind of like this, because that is my belief, unless you're some kind of lunatic megalomaniac. I think that we all have these areas of vulnerability and weakness and insecurity, et cetera, the sense that other people have it figured out and we don't. So I like to share that stuff. But then also because it just helps me to just put it out there and then, you know, the feedback that I get, I feel like I shouldn't be dependent on that. Like what liberation to just put it out there and that's enough. And, and there is a catharsis in that. But I also do, you know, my, the listeners of my show are so great and so nice. And, and I feel like I, if not personally, know many of them. You know how it is when people on social media communicate with you. You sort of get a sense of who they are. There's a community. When you say put it out there, what what's that pronoun doing? What's what's it doing there? What does it mean? It is that's a good question. It is um my my feelings, how I feel. What's going on with me, what I'm struggling with. I mean, I should I should make it clear though. My sh- for someone who hasn't heard my show. My show is not just me talking about me. It it really is an interview. There it comes out twice a week. Monday is a, an interview with a guest. Um and it really is about them, but there's also some me in there. And then Thursday is a group show and that's all of us talking about ourselves. But you know, the different things I've gone through including the charting the journey of trying to get pregnant, doing IVF, all of that, I have shared on the show. I I kind of everything I go through in some way I do end up talking about on the show. I guess you'd be called, well, you'd be called a host now and and a performer, but you were a writer primarily in your adult life before yes, that. Before Had this. you was the aspiration when you were when you were growing up to be to be one or the other? Like what was the idea? What were you looking to do? When I was six, I announced that I wanted to be a psychiatrist. So okay. that was the first thing. But I think that was <laughs> I obviously, you know, hadn't really done a lot of thinking. Uh, And then I wanted to be an actress. So I did a little bit of, my parents were were not in favor of having a a child star, not that I necessarily would have been a star, but a child performer. But then when I turned 13, they were like, okay, look, if you line everything, if we don't have to do anything except drive you, we're okay with it. And I don't need, I don't know how I found a manager. I think I called Screen Actors Guild, maybe? I don't know. Found a manager, started doing some extra work, went on some auditions, and for a lot, you know, and I and I read teen magazines, like the real teeny teen magazines, like Bop and Big Bopper and Tiger Beat and all of that, and was very, you know, taken with like Alyssa Milano and the Corys. And I think I just wanted that was an escape. There was a lot of Corys back then. There was so there was 40 people think there's two Corys. There was 49 Corys. And <laughs> Alyssa Milano went out with all of them. How's your spinoff podcast, 49 Corys, going? It's so, I mean, along. we're on the 48th Corey. <laughs> okay, good. Good luck with that. We've run out of some of them. So, yeah. Like, you Pens- know, Doug Benson has that. obituaries of <laughs> Doug Benson has that show, Wild World of Dougs, and the uh, conceit is they only interview Dougs, although they interviewed me, so, yeah. and I'm not a Doug. No. Anyway. Yeah, so I was very taken with that, you know, showbiz and all that. I wanted to do that. And then when I was in high school, I joined the school paper and I had writing talent. I I was good at that. Um, And then I sort of got 
sucked into that world and was very fulfilled by that and thought that was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. I also started playing in a band. So that that was after college. I moved back to Orange County, which is where I'd grown up, and I started playing in the band, and I was writing for the OC Weekly. I was I had also, that point, yes, I had freelanced a little bit. I had done some freelancing for People Magazine and for Rolling Stone as well. And I I had this sense that the life that I'm supposed to lead is, is one going one direction, and yet my life is going another direction, and how do I bridge the gap? So I was performing again, but I was really fighting it. And I, I'm, I, I, I apologize to my band members who really wanted to do the band seriously, whereas to me it was just this sort of thing I'm doing, but it's not like the real thing that I care about. I mean, yeah. that's that was my attitude, which couldn't have been that wonderful let me, for them. Let me ask a follow-up question on the band, but let me back up first. Growing up, was, like in your teen years, was the depression and anxiety there the whole time, like now that you look back on it, was that always with you? Yes, but it, I didn't identify it as such. I you think just thought it was you, just part of your personality? I just thought I'm sad a lot. I'm sad, and it's because I'm in Orange County. That's what I thought. It's because I'm in Orange County where I don't fit in. Everyone here is blonde and sleek and athletic and they and Republican, and I'm none of those things. So this is, I'm not with my people. And if I go to New York or like the real, you know, Orange County is this facade. But if I go to a real place, like where you are with your public radio, then I'll, <laughs> then I'll finally fit in. That's what I thought. To disclaim briefly, I grew up in the suburbs of Seattle where absolutely nothing seemed real. And I was similarly depressed. And the problem is this place and not, mm-hmm. and all these people and not me. Yeah. But when you played in a band, see, I've been, I've been in like, I think they're, it's called an avocation, right? When you, when it's not your job, but it's a thing that you take slightly more seriously than a hobby. I, I believe it's an avocation. That, that feels good to me. I like saying it because it reminds me of avocados. Same. Or there a lawyer was, in Spanish. There you go. <laughs> it's always felt tremendously liberating because it's not a thing I have to worry about too much. It's not a thing I have to do perfectly. You're not supposed to do it exquisitely Mm -hmm. perfectly every time. It's not surgery or stage theater or anything else where you've got to be very precise about it. Did that, did that feel liberating to, to be in a band? You know, I think if I were to join a band now, it would, because now I, I really am an adult and I have a house and children and I have my career and so the band could be a true avocation where it's just to you know let off some steam and have some fun but back then I was 21 and nothing felt more real than anything else I think I was just trying so hard to like emerge from this shell of I don't even know what. I was trying so hard to forge an identity and figure out who I am and and do something that matters in the world. So I kind of brought the same level of self-seriousness, even though I've always been a silly person, <laughs> but that same intensity maybe to everything. But but I just, you know, a couple months before lockdown, I did Alison Rosen's new best friend at Sketchfest. And we reunited the band 
nice. and played a couple songs at my uh-huh. show. And that was that was really fun. That was one of those things that's like you you think like, will I, will I ever get this chance again? And then we had it and it was great. I think I can remember the first time that I felt depression. And the funny thing is, the story I'm about to tell, I always understood that as maybe this is, I was five. And and what I thought at the time was, this must be what boredom is. And I was discussing it with my therapist many months ago. And she said, what you're describing is emerging depression. But anyway... I was at my parents at my parents' house, which was where I lived at the time as a five year old. And my mom's parents, they both died when I was six, but they were so I guess they must have been sick already. They they had different types of cancer, but they both died like within a couple weeks of each other. Wow. Um but they you know, actually now I'm wondering if maybe I was younger than five, given the timeline, but five or younger. And they were all, they were visiting us and they were out in the family room and I could hear them and my parents. And I was in my bedroom playing with this toy, wearing like a fancy dress. And I was a little bit uncomfortable. I was, I could always feel the seams of clothes and I didn't like to be wearing layers and I didn't, you know, if if the layers weren't laying smoothly. And I think that now kids who are like that see occupational therapists sometimes but I you know I was just very I was just very sen- like ever very sensitive to everything but anyway I was sitting in my room and thinking how I was uncomfortable and feeling I just suddenly it was like as if the oxygen was sucked out of the room there was this incredible stillness and I felt disconnected from everything and everyone like nothing was real anymore it was very dreamlike and this sense that nothing matters I don't exist I don't know if that's depersonalization dissociation maybe a little bit yeah kind of brought on by the sensation of the clothes being uncomfortable and I can still sometimes I'll get that very same feeling if I'm if I'm wearing something that's uncomfortable, I've actually never talked about, about that, this particular thing. If I'm wearing something uncomfortable, for example, let's say I'm going, I used to do a lot of live TV, like as a commentator, let's say I was going to do a live TV thing. And so I would, (laughs) I would have my TV bra, which was an extra padded, uncomfortable bra that looked good on TV, but it was a little bit uncomfortable, but I knew that the second I'm at the studio, I will forget all about that because I will be so immersed in what I'm doing and it'll pull me out of myself. But the car ride on the way over, I usually had this sensation of like, I'm uncomfortable, nothing matters. It doesn't, just this sense of weightlessness and not in a good way. That's interesting. We did an interview about eating disorders a few weeks ago. And I learned that people who have a tendency to be bothered by like tags on clothing, be a little chafed by by that are at much higher risk of developing eating disorders. Did that oh, happen yes. in your teen years? That's so interesting. Yeah, I know. It's a new scientific bit of knowledge that they've recently discovered. And they don't know. It's just a correlation. They don't know why. Well, it's part of an overall set of learnings that 
eating disorders is far more baked in than they had ever realized before. It's, it's much more nature than nurture. Like, you know, if you're, if you're predisposed to it, it would be shocking if you didn't get it. If you're not predisposed to it, it's almost unheard of to get it. Yeah. So I, I was um, an overweight kid and I have been trying to control my weight ever since. Um, So I don't always identify as someone with an eating disorder, although I recognize that I my eating is disordered. The times that it wasn't when I were when I was pregnant and I gained just like 80 pounds with my first. And then I said and I and I got all of it, but 10 pounds off. And I said, if I ever get pregnant again, I am not I'm going to do it differently this time. I am not going to do that again. And then at the first trimester, I had gained 18. You're supposed to gain like five at the first trimester. I'd gained 18, which is exactly the same as I had gained in my first pregnancy by that point. And I was like, oh, I was foolish to think that I have control over this. I don't. It is what my body does when I'm pregnant. So I gained 90 um, with my second. And I'm still in the process of trying to get that. I've gotten some, maybe like half of it off, I'd say. No, more than that. But I'm still... I'm not where I want to be yet. Does that tie into the idea of self-worth at all? Yes. Yes, very much so. We'll hear how Allison's weight affects Allison's idea of who Allison is. That's in a moment. Excuse me, everybody. I just uh, wanted to say a few words about the beautiful couple. I've known you two for a long time, and you get along like peanut butter and chocolate. Or, you know, like like uh, comedy and culture, like uh, Maximum Fun podcasts. <laughs> Actually, they're having a block party from October 11th to October 22nd, and that's kind of like your party, right? You have a community of friends and family, and Max Fun has a community of shows and audiences that support them. You're having a new start with your life together, and Max Fun will be putting out new episodes that are especially welcoming to new audiences. So it's a great time to introduce your friends to your favorite show or jump into one you haven't tried Is before. still talking about podcasts? And they're setting up a volunteer event where we can help out our local communities. Plus, Maximum Fun is gonna have games, prizes, Episode Rex, so much other fun stuff. What's wrong with Kyle? Is he okay? Oh, <laughs> anyways, anyways, sorry for getting carried away there. If it's all right with everybody here, let's all raise our glasses for a toast to the Max Fun Block <sighs> Party, which you can learn more about at maximumfun.org slash block party, and don't forget to join in on October 11th. Actually, that... That sounds pretty cool. Back with Allison Rosen, host of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. We're talking about weight and how it can affect how friendly she is to herself. That's actually something that I have been working on very recently in therapy. I think that I didn't quite realize how much it 
I did and I didn't realize how much it's tied into self-worth. But like stepping, I feel like the uh, apologies to, to people who are triggered by what I'm about to say. It's because it involves scale talk and weight talk. Mm. Mm-hmm. But ever since I've been young, ever since I was young, stepping onto the scale could reveal one of two things. One, the number is higher than I thought it was going to be. I'm bad. The world has gone dark. I'm a bad, bad person who doesn't get to exist until I fix this problem. Or two, oh my God, by some grace or some luck, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. And it's only recently that I have realized that's not, it's not kind, it's not true, first of all. It's not kind to myself. It's not helpful. And it's real. I mean, people have been telling me, gosh, you're so hard on yourself regarding everything my whole life. But I'm really starting to understand just how punishing that mindset is. And it doesn't have to be that way. It's interesting to me that, okay, one outcome is you're bad. You have caused this. The world is dark. You've done a terrible thing. But if it's the other way, something else has happened. Like Mm -hmm. you're not responsible for that. You can't give yourself, you know, in this idea where more pounds means worse, fewer pounds means better. Um, you can't even give yourself credit for that in that scenario. Right. I guess it's actually, there's actually another level of it. I mean, yes, what you're saying is right, but there's a sort of another, if I have been diligent, dieting, exercising, doing all the things right, and I'm engaged in the process of actively trying to lose weight, and then I step on the scale and it's gone down, then I do give myself credit for that. I think I'm talking about more, the 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 experience of when I was young, probably before when I wasn't dieting all the time. So maybe a period of time where I haven't weighed myself in a little while. And then the longer I hadn't weighed myself, the more I didn't want to because I was afraid of what it was going to reveal. And I don't know. So yeah, I've been sort of obsessed with with my weight for as long as I can remember. I do think it is getting better though. I find that I Something about having kids, I think, you know, I, we went to Hawaii and we brought my mother-in-law and Always I, a great idea. It is. If you're going to go to Hawaii, take my mother-in-law. <laughs> I saw White Lotus. This doesn't work out well at all. <laughs> well. Anyway, for you, it's better. For, for you, it's us, better. Be- well, if it was just my husband and me, I think we probably wouldn't have brought her. But we, with the little kids, the kids it's like, yeah, it's sure. having a built-in babysitter. It's great. But I I was fine wearing a bathing suit in front of her. Like I was just, I, at one point I was just sitting on the ground. I don't know, like maybe putting on a sh- one of the kids' shoes or something. Just sitting there in my bathing suit, feeling not self-conscious and thinking, wow, this is, uh, you know, wow, that I'm able to do that. And and I realize these sound like small things, but but for me, they're kind of big. Um, I don't wear tank tops. I don't like my arms but it has been so hot in LA that I have started on occasion wearing a tank top and feeling fine about it. And that's a lot of growth too. 
I read on a t-shirt that if the sun's out, the guns must therefore also be out. Yeah, that's why I hate the sun. (laughs) This is interesting. It's interesting with what we found out on our show about the, the clothing tags, the discomfort, and then the either the sort of natural inevitability of some things related to food mm-hmm. and and pairing that up with what you're talking about. I think this is an interview where we didn't set out to make epiphanies and we found some anyway. I know. I love that. Yeah, this is it's fascinating. I am hardly ever comfortable in my own body. And like I am the most comfortable when I'm lying on my bed. Um, I, you know, it's like it, 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 sort of in the same way uh, where I was talking about the scale, like these binaries. I I either want to be all dressed up, full makeup, wearing something that is uncomfortable but I feel like makes me look good. So all done up, but uncomfortable because I'm going to be on either on stage or doing a television interview or some sort of performing, or I want to be sweatpants, t-shirt, no bra, no makeup, no any, no jewelry, you know, no anything. Like I either, it's either all or nothing. Huh. When, when did you, cause you have a lot of wisdom about yourself is this something that's been gained through the the postpartum depression, getting treatment for that, finding this good therapist who dares to go on vacation? Is this, is this a fairly recent kind of like set of understandings about yourself? The clarity around how distorted my thinking has been regarding body image, weight, and this sense that I'm only okay if my weight is within a certain window, that's new. I've been aware that I have that thinking for a while, but to suddenly have this new clarity about how unfair it is to myself, that's new. And to realize there's another way. There's another way, which would be to say, I'm human. This is what I look like now. Am I at my ideal weight? Do I look exactly how I want to look? No, but that's okay. That's most of us. You spotted the distortion. Yes. So that's new. Regarding wanting to be all dressed up and uncomfortable or 100% comfortable, I've, I've been aware of that for a while. Yeah. But I have done some thinking recently. I don't have an epiphany about it, but just also the realization of like, gee, I'm never comfortable in my own body. And will I ever be? That's kind of a new thought that I've been having lately. And how are you managing that? What's the path forward on that? I don't really know. I don't really know. I mean, spotting it is a, a huge step yeah. in that management and, and then I come on the show with you and talk about it. And yeah. then it's lifted. That's how it works, right? That's what your producer that's told right. me. Yeah. No, that's we do offer that. It's uh, <laughs> It'll arrive in a gift bag. <laughs> <laughs> Why is the show that you've been doing for many years now called Allison Rosen is your new best friend. And is the person you're interviewing supposed to be the new best friend or is the listener supposed to be the new best friend by listening? Ooh, 
These great questions. So this answer is is going to be disappointing. So I was living in New York. I was writing for magazines, and I had started going on on TV quite a bit, doing different segments. I was doing some stuff on the news, um, just popping up as like a talking head commentator. I really enjoyed that. And I also had had a blog for years. And I started experiment. I was putting my clips on YouTube, and then I started experimenting with doing more informal stuff. Like, what if I just did a book review? And I thought people aren't going to respond to that as much because it's not polished. It didn't come out of a television studio. But what I found is the response was so much greater. I think people, you know, the immediate. These were the. This was many years ago. Um, not that many though. It was a respectable number of years ago. In that it was like seventy-one. It. Uh, the steam engine had just been invented <laughs> and my horse had something in his hoof. So, you know, the response was good and it was fun. So I started doing more of that. Then I created this little very amateurish web show called The Daily Allison. Someone from Ustream. Do you remember Ustream? It was an online streaming yeah. internet yeah, service yeah. where you could go live. One of the early ones. Someone on Ustream reached out to me and asked if I would want to, you know, come onto their platform. And I thought, sure, I'll try it out. So I did a couple live Ustream shows that I called the Allison Rosen Show or the Allison Rosen Experience. And I wanted to turn it into something that had more of a show format. So I came up with some segments, Just Me or Everyone, which I still do on my show now, my podcast. And I was like, I want to change the name. And then this name popped into my head. Alison Rosen is your new best friend. And I actually meant it sort of facetiously because I feel like it was a little bit slang at the time. Like these new ice cream flavors are going to be your best friend. These new shoes are your best friend. These new, And I, it just struck me as kind of silly and catchy. And I, I think I tweeted it out. Like what, what if I named my show Alison Rosen's new best friend? And a couple of people that I, I, respected were like oh my god I love it and so I decided to just go with that and so it was initially somewhat it was like the sort of breezy and a little bit facetious but then it it actually had more authenticity than I realized because now you know I do I do want to be a source of comfort and solace for people. So I think it really works on both levels. I think it's outlived that, you know, whatever yes. memification used to be there. And I think it's very disarming and it really sets a nice tone for the work that you do Thank because you. it says, here's going to be a friendly place. Y yes. You can come in and be here and it's going to be, you know, no one's going to attack anyone. <laughs> you right. know, there aren't going to be tirades here. Right. I try to stay away from tirades. <laughs> and plus, it gives you a lot of new best friends. I, I know. People point out all the time, though, like, okay, if so, your new best friend, what happened to your old best friend? I'm like, I can yeah. accommodate all of them. Yeah. There's <laughs> other people in the line after this show who want to meet me. So move along, sir. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> my my other question, like you were, uh, you were on the Adam Carolla show. I have never really... Uh, listened to or watched much Adam Carolla because whenever I do, I get very sad. And mm. so I like to stay away from it. 
and then you left that show, people can Google your name and his name and read a lot of articles about it. But here's what I want to know. You were referred to as the news girl on that show when you were an adult woman. And how did you feel about that? That didn't bother me. Um, okay. Yeah. I mean, I think they would say like news girl, co-host, sidekick. Those terms were all thrown around. Uh-huh. But yeah, I mean, it technically was the news girl position. Um, yeah, it, 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 didn't, it didn't bother me. No. And he would call me, me and my predecessor, and I, I imagine the woman who has the job now, baby girl, and things like that, like terms of affection like that, which also didn't, didn't bother me. So I don't know. I think if I, you know, I, I feel like that, that name grew out of a terrestrial radio tradition, mm. and that show had used that term for years. And he's someone whose affection is hard to win. One could argue that I had definitely lost it by the end. Um, so, and he's an intimidating figure. So, when I first started, and when he call, when he would call me baby girl or something like that, it was just like, oh my god, thank you, that's so nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I, I can see the face you're making, or if you're not making what I imagine you're thinking. But I, yeah, my, for for better or worse, it, it didn't really bother me. If the guy at the coffee shop called you baby girl, would you be okay with that? I wouldn't love that, no. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. So why was it okay coming from him? Because we were both playing a role. He never called me it off air. Okay. If he did call me that off air, I think that would have been weird or confusing. Yeah. If it was in an email, it would be... (laughs) Right. (laughs) Or a text. (laughs) Kind of odd. Yeah. All right. So from what I'm told, the future is coming. It's unavoidable. And it sounds like you are in a really good place of understanding some of the obstacles you've been dealing with, especially, you know, with a a good therapist, you've got a good understanding of the postpartum issues that were going on. You've got an understanding of, you know, if not a a comprehensive solution to all these weight issues uh, and weight perception issues, I should say, at least an understanding of what that is. What are you hoping for going forward? What are you hoping to do with your mental health going from here? I want to be released from relying on external validation. That's Mm. something that I've been, and I feel like I've made strides um, during this, during the pandemic. I, used to have this thing where I would scroll social media and I would just compare myself. It was very specific. Like I'll see some, oh, someone else is on someone else's podcast. Oh, they didn't come on my podcast. Whether I asked them to be on my podcast or not, or like, oh, they didn't ask me on their pod. I I just very quickly spiral down to a very, very low place where I have been rejected en masse. I don't, I don't matter. I don't exist. I'm invisible. It's all for naught. I, sometimes there's a certain flavor of it, which is like, I had some heat once, but now it's gone. I've missed my win. I mean, just 
just yeah. shitting on myself very intensely. And it happens very fast to the point where I look at something and like, it feels like the neck, you know, I feel like just a sand dollar on the bottom of the ocean, like a second <laughs> later. And so I had all that happen one day and then I stopped and I'm like, wait a minute, is this true? And I was able to sort of get outside of it and realize if I'm going to have this reaction every single time someone else who I don't even know gets attention for anything, this is going to be a miserable life. And then I was able, and I, and I started thinking about a conversation that I'd had with some relatives the day before where I felt invisible and I felt like they weren't hearing me and I felt like they didn't care about what I wanted and it strummed some really old chords and I was able to tie it together that like it's not really about the external world. It's about some stuff that I felt when I was very young or maybe I'm still feeling um, and I'm projecting it out. And that really released me. And I feel like I've I've come a long way to the point where and this is so sad uh, uh, sad's the wrong word. Pathetic, actually. I feel this is pathetic. However, I'm going <laughs> to celebrate it. I have two people I know received good news in the inter good entertainment industry news, and I felt nothing but just sheer joy for them. And I was like, I've really done it. I'm truly a good person. <laughs> that feels good, doesn't it? It really does. I hate that I have to to point that out, like what a bitter <laughs> shrew I had been before. Not all the time, but just, you know, I feel like something kind of unkinked in my brain and I have been able to experience small joys, late, like genuine, happy, big joys for other people and just sort of on some level, small joys for myself. I'm, I'm less focused on social media all the time. All right. Allison, thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you so much. I really, you're, you're really, really good at what you do. Very, oh, very, thank like, you. I'm sure you've had the experiences I have of being a guest on podcasts where afterwards you're like, that just felt hard. It didn't uh -huh. flow and yes. I felt a little uncomfortable. And this was the opposite of that. For more about Allison Rosen, you know what? Just look her up on the internet. She's on the internet. Try the website google.com, one L in Allison. And I will be her new best friend on Allison Rosen is your new best friend coming up in a few weeks. Next time on Depression Mode, Tom Sharpling can talk for hours on the radio. He can make characters say anything under the sun in TV scripts. But when it comes to things like his inpatient psychiatric treatment, his suicidal ideation, and his electroconvulsive therapy, that's harder. Yeah, no, I really didn't talk about it at all. I mean, I think it would come through that I was, I would, I never tried to put myself across as someone who had everything figured out. I just would own that I had problems, but I never got specific with problems or never went into the past with them because it just never felt like, uh, it just didn't feel like the right place to do it. Listen up, friends of Tom. Tom Sharpling is our guest. If people support our show through a small donation, we will continue to exist. If not, we won't. It's that simple. 
If you donate already, thank you. You are making Depression Mode happen. If you haven't donated yet, it's easy. You can find a level that works for you. MaximumFun.org slash join. Also, give our sponsors a shot. Use those discount codes they offer. That stuff is tracked. You're getting good stuff, cheaper, and you're helping the show. We love it when you recommend Depression Mode to friends. Also, something that matters a lot, hit subscribe, give us five stars, write reviews. That helps more people find out about the show, which helps our mission of getting those conversations happening. I want you to know that the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7 for free at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. The Crisis Text Line, also free, always available. Text the word HOME to 741741. Our electric mail address is depressionmode at MaximumFun.org. Drop us a line. Let us know what's on your mind, who you think we should get for the show, what you think we should talk about. If you're on Facebook, look up our mental health discussion group, Preshies. Hello, Preshies. Great talk going on over there. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DepressPod. Our Depression Mode newsletter is available on Substack. Search that up. I'm on Twitter, at John Moe. Hello, Credits listeners. If you eat 262 fun-sized candy bars in one sitting, you will die. 261 fun-sized candy bars. I, I don't know. I guess you might be okay. The word fun is doing a lot of heavy lifting there. Depression Mode is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our theme song, Building Wings. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out Building wings, building wings, building wings This is Stacy from Minneapolis. My therapist told me that the best thing you can do when you're feeling anxious is to give yourself a silent wolf howl like this. It does make me feel a little crazy in public, but who isn't crazy in public? Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Bye now. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.